millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. This week, my guest is Martin Halfman. Now, Martin is the owner and boss of a company called Fruit Box Group. That's it, Fruit Box Group. He launched back in 2000, delivering fresh fruit to 300 households in Melbourne. Early on, the Fruit Box Group changed tack to target businesses needing deliveries of fruit and milk. And in the past 17 years, has expanded to having a presence in every major city in Australia. Now they're doing 30,000 deliveries each week to more than 8,000 corporate customers. I love how he's changing the game for businesses all around the country, so let's get into it. Martin, welcome to The Mentor. Hi, Mark. Mate, I uh, find it incredible that somebody can take a business from doing three, you know, delivering to 300 customers to 8,000 customers in such a short period, and I'm going to get back to that. But how did you get involved in this business in the first place? Uh, I'm a lawyer by profession, and uh, I uh, worked as a commercial lawyer for about three years, and I wasn't very good at it. Disaffected lawyer. I was a disaffected lawyer, yeah. And, Plenty of um, them around. I uh, made a, uh, you know, just a, sh- a sideways movement into industry, worked in the recycling industry for about four or five years and was particularly interested in distribution. I bought a uh, home delivery business in 2000, which was delivering to 300 households in southeast Bayside suburbs of Melbourne. And through luck, one of the customers a year later asked me if I delivered fruit to workplaces uh, with a hunch I distributed 1,500 very amateurish brochures to uh, a portion of Melbourne CBD and picked up 30 customers straight away, and that's where it started. Basically, just had a crack on your hunch. Yeah, look, I, I was, in that first year, I was having a crack, you know, everywhere, and uh, that was the one that stuck. And what is it that people listening to this podcast can get out of, you know, how you start. I mean, there's a lot of people saying, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm a banker, I'm sitting there in my office, uh, I'm doing this begrudgingly, you know, I, I'm, I just don't really want to get stuck in an office all day long and I wish I could do something else. I've got an idea about blah. What is it that actually tipped you over? Like, why did you one day say, stuff this, I'm going to go and have a go at this? Uh, what happened, I was in my late 20s and um, I was uh, put before me, was a very good corporate uh, career path, which would take me into my late thirties. Um, and whilst I should have swallowed that up very uh, quickly, it actually intimidated me. I felt that, you know, if I'm going to have a crack at it, I've better do it whilst I'm young where I've got less to lose. And, um, 
you know, I think that, uh, look, a lot of people say, you know, making, yeah, making movement into something that's unknown is courageous, but for me it was a bit of blind courage. I, I needed to sort of have a crack at it while I was young. So my advice to other people is that, uh, you know, best to do it while you're younger, uh, when you've got less to lose. And, uh, you know, I was lucky that I made that move then. Okay, so relative age and, and timing is an important part of the variables. That's an important variable. But that's sort of not enough. That's sort of necessary but not a sufficient condition. Um, what are the other things that existed? So what are the other things that you had in your favour that helped ensure your success? Having Looking back in hindsight, I mean, so, I mean, did you understand the logistics industry or did you did you know someone who could tell you that there was a definite demand or what was it or was it or was there an element of luck in there yeah I, look I, I think there is a, a lot lots of elements of luck um i'd love to say to to you that i crystal balled my you know what what i've achieved it was far from that i think i've been very reactive throughout my journey uh i think probably the main thing for me is that i when I started, it was such a struggle, you know, with our cash flow that I was forced to work in the business for a long time. And because I was forced to do that, I got a real good understanding of what I was doing, but I also got a great understanding of the customer. So I was, you know, working on the tools, so to speak, for about seven to eight years. And so think- let me stop you there, mate, because that's an important one. So, I mean, because all the success in these things is a little bit like sort of solving the Rubik's Cube, you know, uh, you just keep moving it around and you might not get there quicker than everybody else, but eventually you get there if you hang in there. But what you just said to me is that you had the not only the preparedness, but the ability to work on the tools yourself. And somebody who might have just, you know, they might be 29, they might have just got married and they've got a kid on the way, they might be prepared to, but they don't have the ability to do what you did. So that is part of the variable. So you had, I presume what you're saying to me is you had not only that you, you were prepared to have a crack and do it all yourself physically, but you had the ability to do it too, so you had a sort of a bit of an open book. Yeah, look, I, I, I suppose if you, I had a very open mind. I think that, uh, you know, probably my disposition is one where I'm open-minded. I'm not sort of fixed on a on on a path. And uh, in my business, I think that I've been a student in my business the whole way. I continue to be so. And um, I think in those early days in particular, I was prepared to do whatever it took in order to get across the line. For me, my goals at that point was just to have a cash flow positive business. Um, And uh, I would do anything, whether it was taking calls, going to the markets, packing boxes, delivering, whatever it took, sweeping the floors, I would do what needed to be done in order to get across the line. So... Young entrepreneur, or any any age entrepreneur, wants to get a career change because they've got a great idea. There is demand out there in the marketplace. It's not being tapped into. One of the elements, or one of the people characteristics is a preparedness. The, the, a person needs to be prepared to do whatever it takes, whether it means, as you said, sweeping the floor. It's not one of these things where you say, well, I'm going to set up this business. I'm going to have all my people down there and I'm going to be sitting in the office and I'm going to recruit this, this and the other, you know, and I'm going to throw a whole lot of dough at it because you don't learn about your business unless you're actually on the tools. You don't learn about the customer unless you're talking to the customer. You don't, don't learn uh, about the, the way your business flows unless you actually do the last mile, do, you know, actually do that delivery and know how long it takes to get from the warehouse or wherever it's coming from to the customer. You know, uh, otherwise you're going to be um, 
always going to be at the yeah, mercy of the people who work for you. Is that sort of what you're saying? Uh, absolutely. I think that the uh, biggest IP that we've got in our business is that we really understand the customer. We put ourselves in the customer's shoes and I think that, uh, you know, having such a long period of time where we're working alongside the customer and understanding, you know, where they, you know, what they, what they need from a locality, what they need from a service point of view, I think that that's kept us really in good stead and built very solid foundations for the future. For me, I feel like the last 17 years is just has, has been a time where we've just built the foundations. And I think uh, I want to underline the, those words, 17 years. So, so I sort of introduce you going from 300 customers to 8,000 customers and to, from doing, uh, you, know, you know, a couple of hundred deliveries to you know, 30,000 deliveries a week. Um, it did take 17 years. I mean, no, none of these things happen overnight. I mean, there's, I, I don't know anyone who's done a brilliant overnight sort of transition from zero to, you know, multi-million dollars worth of um, uh, sales a year and 17 years, 17 years of hard grind. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice in that, isn't there? Oh, look, a lot of, um, there's a lot of love that goes into it. And I mean, you know, it, it is a big jump from 300 customers to, you know, doing 30,000 deliveries, but it, you're right. It's been over 17 years. For me, it's been a slow grind. Um, and um, I, look, I, I think that if you if you're able to get success overnight, good luck to you, but I'm sure you could get knocked off as well. You know, with us, in 17 years, we've built a national infrastructure. We've built, you know, enduring, you know, I hope to think enduring relationships with our customers. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, that's a great defence strategy. It sort of takes a long time to build that. Um, and, uh, you know, what the best part about it is, is that we look forward to the future. We feel like we've got a lot of growth potential going forward. Okay. Now take me through for our listeners, the, the structure. So let's, let's look at the ownership. So do you own it on your own or you own it in a corporate structure or how do you own no, it? No, yeah, I've, I've still maintained the majority, uh, share of the business. Right, so, so we've got some other shareholders, um, that work in the business and, you know, in, in the last seven year, 17 years, we've had people that have bought and sold their shares, but uh, I still maintain the majority share of the business. So you're the biggest shareholder, so there's a, there's the corporate structure, which is, you know, everyone, everyone can go and talk to a lawyer and find out how to, or accountant, find out how these things are going to be set up. Um, now, what is the proposition? So how I'm a, you know, Yellow Brick Road in Victoria, um, a corporate office down there. We I've decided, you know, in my benevolence that I want to give fruit to all my staff, because I'm worried about their health. Um, and uh, so I, when I go to a website, how does it all work? Is it oh, an online business? Uh, what it is is that, uh, it, you know, we have a, a big online um, um, component. But essentially what we do is we're a corporate fruit man or a corporate milk man. We're, we're, we're literally got, you know, uh, to this day we're uh, a two-trick pony. We deliver fruit and milk to corporates throughout Australia. But probably, you know, what the... Um, the biggest selling point for us is is the service that attaches to those products. So, for instance, Yellow Brick Road, which is located in multiple sites uh, in 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 more than one city, we offer a consolidated solution. And uh, you know, in an environment where companies are trying to minimise the amount of supplies that they're working with and they're trying to consolidate where they can, you know, what we've done with fruit and milk is we've been very very strong in developing a blue chip database with um, companies that are located all over Australia in a number of different sites and are just wanting to minimise the, um, 
the energy that goes into you know products like fruit and milk. So, but why is it important? Like, I mean, why is fruit and milk important? I mean, is it? I mean, obviously, people have coffee and tea at work. I guess I can see the milk piece, and I mean, but I mean, I don't know, like fruit. Do, do people is that a, a big deal in corporates? Um, I, I think they're, they're two different products. I mean, in the case of fruit, it's a discretionary item. Um, you know, it's a it's a, a decision you know, made by a conscious decision made by a company that they want to have a healthy option to traditional tea room snacks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only guessing, but probably 10 to 20% of companies in Australia would buy fruit. In the case of milk, um, I think that what's happened over the last five to seven years, which we've benefited from, is that companies have gone from an instant coffee tea room to one where there's coffee machines. And I think companies find that, you know, people leaving the office is quite distracting. And what they would rather is people congregate in the one area where they're, you know, talking to each other and, and the like or the logic is that they're going to be talking to each other about work rather than sort of, you know, other things. So, uh, you know, that our proposition so far has been fruit and milk. We've um, recently done an acquisition where we're expanding to a full range of pantry, janitorial and alcohol products. And where we see ourselves going forward is is leveraging off the 8,000 uh, corporate relationships that we've got and really having a crack at a supermarket-type solution, particularly in the small, medium business um, area where people are going by default to the major supermarkets. That's interesting, that, because, um, because you know, in my in my office environment, uh, if I want something, you're right, I've got a, one of the GAs get sent out to... Woolworths or IGA or something that to buy whatever it is and they've gone out for half an hour and, you know, invariably they go there and the thing that someone wants is not there or, um, and then they, you know, they're out of the office an hour and a half, et cetera. Whereas if you've got a menu of things, which is, I guess, what you're saying, there's a menu yeah. and then we could just look at it and we can effectively get it on, get it delivered straight away. Now, I know what happens in my environment. I say, listen, I need this. Let's get this for the place, for the office. The girls will buy it if it's not available in IJ or available in Woolworths. They actually go online and they'll order online, but it takes three days to get there. You know, they, I don't know who they order it from. They order it from wherever. Um, you're, you're sort of saying your relationship with your corporate customers and your menu effectively builds efficiencies, takes the person off the street, leaves them in the office. I presume you're delivering, a, you know, uh, price parity to everybody else or your competitors around them? Is it a price gaming? No, no, not really. I, I think um, when you look at, say, in your case, Yellow Brick Road, you've got somebody... Keep saying I love that. Oh, right, Yellow, yeah. When, when you look at your business... Fruitbox, like, Fruitbox. <laughs> there you go. I like the Fruitbox group. But when you look at your business, for example, you've got whoever's doing it, they've probably got 50 to 100 things to do each week, right? And the last thing they want to do is they want to rock up and have a you know, do the stock take in the office and, you know, do an online order. So I think the, the trick is not about the product. The trick is about the service. So if you're able to develop something where you make ordering seamless and you create the expectation for your person. So if they know that every Tuesday and Thursday between these times, this is where the deliveries are, that these are the deliveries that you're going to get, that person will fall into that discipline. They'll fall into that expectation um, and they will, and, and what will happen is it will help them get organised. So at the moment, you know, with the major supermarkets, it's basically you order when you're ready. Whereas if 
you know, you have a prompting mechanism or you have a, a very seamless ordering um, um, technology or app, um, it really makes a difference to the product that you're ordering. So, you know, we, we're, we're, in the, we're in a business that is, is delivering fruit and milk to corporates. It's probably a miscellaneous item in the miscellaneous category. And, um, you know, what we try to do is we try to make the experience as seamless as possible because the people that are actually looking after and, and running that process are very busy people that all they want is a very prompt and seamless service. It's funny, you know, like I, I was just thinking as you're speaking then, my partner in his business owns the Manshake or part, part, he's a part owner of the Manshake with Adam McDougall. You probably don't know who he is because he's a, a Sydney-based guy, a um, Newcastle-based guy. The Manshake is um, – you know, it's a sort of a protein food drink, and often, I, 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 I there's an evolution in health food in offices now. It's gone, and, I, and I'm, I'm not telling you how to suck eggs, but I guess it's gone from, you know, you know, as you say, coffee's changed. Now you're getting the Nespresso machines, you're getting, you know, the milk. You can heat the milk up. It's not just a jug of coffee that the old style one, and it's also gone into fruit. And you know, we never had fruit in offices ten years ago, but now there's fruit in offices. And then it's starting to um, the way people in, uh, live their life in office environments is starting to say, "Shit, I sit down on my ass all day. Um, I can't be eating sandwiches and stuff like that. Going outside to pick up, you know, the usual stuff that most of the shopping centres are selling. So it wouldn't be great if I could in mid afternoon when I get hungry instead of having a chocolate, I could have a a, a healthy protein drink." Now, no one's going to bring a protein powder and bloody shaker and start shaking it up. So smart people have developed these things called the man shake and these various sort of portable, you know, immediately made protein drinks. And I guess your business has the ability to open itself up and expand and evolve into all these sorts of areas as the corporations and the corporate office environment and demand changes for product. I mean, is that something on your horizon? You know, in other words sort of being known as somebody who delivers healthy outcomes for office environments. I know the people at Macquarie, I have a good relationship with Macquarie Bank, and they, like, they're always encouraging people to eat really healthy at lunch and you know, they try to give them healthy snacks, not just fruit, but all sorts of healthy snacks. And all these people, they all take lunchtime and go down and do yoga or do Pilates or go to the gym. They're very conscious of their health and in their very competitive environments in places like Macquarie Bank or the banks in particular. So everybody's trying, not only competing in terms of intellect, but they're competing in terms of health. Yep. What do you think about that? Um, well, we're a logistics business today that sells fresh products, and uh, you know, fruit in particular is a healthy product. I I think um, corporate Australia is still um, evolving towards uh, creating a true healthy environment, um, and I think that you know, whilst it'd be great to have a smorgasbord of health products that you give to your employees, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think we're we're doing fresh fresh fruit um, at the moment and uh, yeah that's it's 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 great but I think that in terms of a conscious decision of really getting products that are good for your people I think that we're still evolving so I think we'll get there but I don't think that we're truly walking the walk of creating um, healthy environments for the office and what we're trying to do is leverage off um, you know, what we've done so far in our relationships to slowly build um, a healthy range and, and maybe one day go from a logistics business to a health business. But I, Yeah, I that's think what I'm would, thinking. I think that, no, I, I definitely feel that that is 
where we're heading, but I shit, think we just told someone else that we just told my mum, we just told someone else. We've just everyone's listening to this. We just told them we better. It's too late. We're gonna have to get and start doing it straight away because I actually <laughs> love your business. I really love the idea of it. I mean, I I, I want to ask you a question for those people listening. Um, when you when do you consider pivoting your business? Like you just said, you know, do I go from logistics if if and when do I go from logistics business to a health business? Do you think it's better to lead corporates into the health environment or is it better for you to follow the corporates into the health environment? No, it's, it's important to – I think it's important to lead. I think that in a lot of ways in 2001 when we started doing fruit to workplaces, it was a novel idea. I think that some companies were maybe getting fruit from vendors that were located outside um, buildings, but I think that over a long period of time – I mean, I don't, I don't want to sort of sound like we've got tickets on ourselves, but what we have done is we have pioneered fruit into the workplace over a long period of time. And I would like to think that we can do the same thing with health, um, particularly products that you uh, consume um, into the workplace and uh, lead uh, corporates uh, into that way of thinking. I don't think, you know, it's taken us 17 years to get to where we've got to. Uh, it's not as if we're going to be able to change from a logistics business to a health business overnight. But I do think that over the next five years that we can get there. Okay. Well, I, I find this this is a, quite a fascinating discussion. I mean, because, you know, you're very humble and you said, you know, you're in the business of logistics, delivering fruit and milk. But I think you actually are on the cusp of something much greater and a, a big evolution and change in how corporates work. And I do want to talk to you a little bit more about this, but we do need to go to the break. But when we come back from the break, I want to sort of explore this a little deeper because I, I actually want to get inside your intellect and your thinking and uh, your. And I actually want to, uh, to be frank with you, brush away this humility that you're sort of presenting to everybody and get into your deep thought process because I think everyone who's listening will get a lot out of that. So right now, we're just going to take a break and please stay tuned. Okay, Martin, I'm not sort of talking too much about the logistics or how the fruit box works. I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I, I know and I appreciate this has been a 17-year journey and you've given a lot of thought and not only that, there's been a lot of effort and gritty stuff, you know, like actually doing the deliveries and knowing what the customers want and you're keeping the business reasonably simple at the moment in terms of your offering, product offering. What you're, you're, In terms of your service offering, though, it's uh, consistent and it's um, obviously cl- clearly what you're trying to be is well-priced, consistent and simple and easy to work with. And eventually, we, you know, you're talking about, you know, perhaps pivoting or uh, an evolution in the demand and trying to lead that. Um, I get all that. And, you know, people listening to this, you know, they may or may not um, be particularly interested in the subject matter because, you know, they might have some other idea in their their lifestyle. And I want to just bring you out of your own business for a minute and just talk about, you know, the sorts of attributes that entrepreneurs need to pretty much accept day one before they get, launch off into running their own business and leaving their job as a lawyer or a banker or a, an accountant or a real estate agent. Uh, what are the sort of things that you think entrepreneurs should be doing? I mean, we're just talking in the break, you and I are talking in the break then about uh, that shit show, The Shark Tank, um, <laughs> where they basically crucify people who are trying to you know, run the flag up and raise money. And it may be because people are trying to raise money too early. I mean, what do you, you know, they're leaving themselves open to, open to the criticism of the shark tankers. 
What do you think? I mean, what do you think of these entrepreneurs? Oh, look, first thing is, um, when I started my business, we didn't, I wasn't cash flow positive for about seven or eight years and had to make some personal sacrifices. And I'll be honest with you, if um, somebody came came to me, particularly in that first three or four years, and and uh, offered you know some sort of stake in our business for you know a reasonable amount of money. The chances are that I would have taken it, but by I think that one of my bits of luck is that that didn't happen, and that I was forced to, you know, stick it out, and uh, really sort of take the time to understand, you know, what my idea was and uh, what it looked like, and and how I could make it successful. So sticking it out was one of the bits of luck that I had. In terms of what's helped me in my business. I didn't have it in the early when I first started. I, I, I must say, I sort of came into my business a bit of a, a bit like a general manager, thinking that uh, I could delegate everything. But it was far from far from that, and I was humbled very quickly. And I think that you know probably the thing that's really sort of stuck in my mind is critical. You know, for anybody in their business journey, is to be. I wouldn't say humble, but to sort of have humility and to have empathy. And when I say humility is that you don't know everything, that your mind, you know, that you're open-minded and that you are constantly learning and employing, you know, around your gaps, you know, constantly around your limitations, being very, very, you know, know, analytical of yourself. Where are your you know, where, where are your deficiencies and constantly trying to build around that. And in terms of empathy, um, I think that that goes two ways. One is the empathy of the customers is, you know, do what, doing what you need to do to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. Um, and the other thing is to have empathy around the people that you're working with constantly sort of working like a team you know nobody's working for anybody just have the approach where you know you're working together and at the end of the day your strategy can be sound but it's 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 not worth anything unless you've got people to execute it and that's and i think for those people listening that's that's an incredibly important point and now i i just want to share with you and others that you know people think of me and my business the yellow brick road business um uh you know, it's taken me since 2011 or so six years to make that business cash flow positive. And, you know, like people hear that it's this year, this actual year, and I've had to be patient all, the whole time. And, you, you know, like we turn over on a, on a monthly basis, we do, you know, $1.2 to $1.5 billion worth of loans a month. Um, you know, we get hundreds of offices all around the country. You've got hundreds of staff, et cetera. And last year, you know, my my revenue for 16, I can't say what my 17 number is, even though I know what it is because I haven't put manual accounts out yet, but, you know, 16, $215 million in revenue, but my costs were greater. And, you know, we're not an extravagant firm. We don't even buy fruit. <laughs> we, don't, we do buy milk, but we don't buy fruit. And, but this year things have changed and, um, and it's all about patience and like you, like straight after the show, I'll be flying to Melbourne. I go down to Melbourne to see some branches um, to see what they're my customers as, and the customers who borrow money from us are their customers. So my customers are the branches and the people in the branches. And uh, and I still do the same stuff. And I don't know what's going on unless I actually go and visit these guys. Um, there's no point in me sitting up in my ivory tower and asking for someone to write a paper on it for me because that means nothing. Um and not only that, it does. Not only will I not learn, but it's disrespectful to the branches, not to know what they're doing and not to visit them. 
they feel disrespected because they're the engine room of my business. They're my, that's my logistics. They do the deliveries for me, you know, from their branch office. And they're the ones actually taking all the risk because, you know, they're the ones who don't get paid unless they, unless they um, settle a loan. So like you, I'm doing the same stuff and, uh, and it's, and it's been many, many years. I mean, the wizard business went for a long time. I've probably been at both these businesses for 17 or 20 years around the same amount of time. And I get what you're saying. And I think there's a misunderstanding out there in the marketplace that, oh, these guys got such big volume and they sell business for so much money, et cetera. Um, how lucky they are. And uh, but the basics are the same. You know, I'm still out there slogging away, you know, walking the pavement, talking to people, shaking hands, listening, asking questions, understanding things that people are trying to explain to me. And and the business is continually evolving, so I'm trying to always keep ahead of it, which is sort of your story. Is that Would that be a fair summary? Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I wouldn't, you know, in our case it's um – Yes, it's it's constantly sort of just uh, not taking anything for granted, um, you know, always aspiring for continuous improvement and um, not just basically saying that, uh, you know, you know, it's great what I've, you know, what we've achieved. And um, I think the trick is, I wouldn't call it a hard slog, I just, I would, I'd probably call it more just putting energy into progressing forward. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, that's a hard thing to do. Waking up in the morning and just, just constantly having a positive energy. But what does that for you? I mean, how do you do that? Like, what, what do you do to get get yourself like that? Oh, in the morning? I, like it just—it depends on what incentivizes you and you know what drives you. I mean, I you know, I'll be honest. Um, you know, when I started the business, you know, there was just myself really, and then um, you know, now we've got two hundred and fifty people. I've had probably 30 or 40 people that have been with me for five years. I've probably got about 20 people that have been with me for 10 years plus. And seeing their involvement and, and, and their growth during that period of time, you know, that, that's the type of thing that excites me. I mean, you know, from one thing, you know, you know being an employer, it's a responsibility. But now, you know, you know, what's great is to see how people develop, you know, within the umbrella of what you're creating. So... That gives me energy to keep on growing. You know, I'd love, you know, I'd love people to, you know, keep on, you know, working in an environment or creating an environment where they're constantly able to, you know, to become the best that they can be. So that's something that gives me energy. The other thing that gives me energy um, is, is not only sort of working in a business that's got a healthy bottom line, but also, you know, being in a position where we can impact the community through social initiatives. So how so, hard is it, Martin, during that period before you became cash flow positive? How how did you keep your head up and get yourself up every morning and get to work when you did you get to a stage and you thought, Oh, geez, this is never gonna get there. I just can't cop this sort of, you know, living off the bread line, hand to mouth daily. I mean, what keeps you going during that period? Clearly once you start making money and you can see the bottom line and you can you get the benefits, the, at least the financial benefits of it all, and you've mentioned the personal benefits, but the financial benefits. But prior to the, getting the financial benefits, what kept you going? Well, it wasn't that dramatic where I was sort of struggling to eat because I always had fruit. But, <laughs> um, but uh, look, I, like it's survival. I mean, you know, I had a very good, um, you know, my dad was just, 
you know, fantastic sounding board. And he constantly said, you've got to be patient. It takes about five to seven years. And he always used to say that enjoy the struggle because they're the best years of your life. So what he did is he help me flip it in my mind, you know, in my mind, rather than looking at it that, you know, I'm running uphill and I'm always going to be running uphill. It's like, you're going to be running uphill and eventually you're going to get to the peak. So look forward to it. So I must say that, you know, whilst there were some hard times in that first seven or eight years, at the same time, I was really loving building something that I really felt that was you know, was going to get there in the end and having, you know, a sounding board like my father, uh, who was always sort of supportive and saying, you know, you're going to get there. And also my wife who was, you know, incredibly supportive and, you know, just said, stick at it, you know, we'll get there. I think that, you know, having good people around you that believe in you and believe in what you're doing is very helpful. So they're sort of like your mentors in some respects, I guess. Um, you know, like it's protecting terms of terms of encouragement, and, and in your dad's case, his wise words. And it's interesting what you just said about um, you know running up a, a mountain or a hill <laughs> to get to the top, because it's, it's it's quite right. Once you get to the top, you can. You, you look at the next mountain. Well, you can also happily look back and say, I enjoyed that run up there. But when you're running up there, it's tough. But you can also say when you get to the top, which is, I actually enjoyed that. But you never get the opportunity to say I enjoyed that until you get to the top. So you've got to, you know, logically you just got to keep going, running until you get there to enjoy the thing you just put up with. I mean, and that's that's and that story is, um, you know, timeless. I mean, Homer wrote the story about the Odyssey and, you know, Odysseus' whole story is about all the tragedies and the, the, the drama he had to put get through until he could get back to his homeland to reach his family. And and he probably hated every single um, thing that was put in front of him by the, 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 the gods in those days, all the things that he had to battle and all the battles he had. At the time, each one was probably horrific. But until he got through all those things and got to his end, his end destination, um, he would never have had a story to tell. And, you know, we still read those stories today and movies are made about those stories today. And it's the same thing as we're talking to you about your story. And I think a lot of people who are listening to us today who are thinking about going into business, one thing is not just about making lots of money and it's not about being seen as successful, but it's actually about, and this is nearly commonplace and trite in terms of the way people talk about it. It is the journey. The journey is very important in a personal development sense. And you, you, Martin, talking about seeing other people develop in this journey, the people who work for you for, you know, being with you for five years and seven years, et cetera, and 10 years and, you know, watching their development and their journey and how they evolve themselves as people. And we've got to, if we're prepared for that and, and have the patience for that, then you have a good chance of being successful as long as your idea is the right idea. Absolutely. I, look, I, I just think that um, going into your own business, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much money you've got, you know, where you come from, um, you can't go into your own business that is a startup or hasn't sort of uh, developed yet with any form of entitlement because you'll just get smacked down straight away. Um, I think that in my case, I, I, I do I do honestly believe that I came in with some entitlement at the beginning and luckily that was that was shut down very quickly. But now looking back at it in seven, you know, 17 years later, I can honestly say um, that the struggle is part and parcel of, of, of the journey that you need to go through and that the, what you learn along 
you know, whilst you are going through that phase of struggle is what will eventually define your success, uh, you know, down the track. It's what you learn, you know, uh, you know, during, during that critical stage that really sort of defines who you are, what you're trying to do and, uh, you know, where you want to go. And, uh, I just think that, look, good luck to you if you have overnight success, but, I think that a lot of people that have got businesses that uh, you know took a long time to establish, I think that they would understand what I'm saying. And and, and by the way, you're right. Good luck to you if you got a, you get overnight success, but don't expect it. That's the issue. And I think, and I, I really appreciate your sort of sharing with us your the wisdom that you you know, have garnered along the way. I I I always give everybody an opportunity to ask me a question, Martin, and I want to know what question you'd like to ask me. Um. Probably the question I'd like to ask you is I, I get quite inspired by um, seeing successful people in their businesses and trying to understand what their core values are. So, I mean, just assuming that, uh, you know, taking sort of honesty away, and I spoke a little bit about humility and empathy, what are the core values that have driven you in your business? What has been the most important, you know, what, which ones would you say have been the most important ones that have helped you with your success? Um, well, I, I, I'm not as, um, I wasn't as articulate as, as you are in terms of um, understanding those um, core values, as you put it, or probably another way of de- de- um, describing them as um, v- um, virtues. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, um, success in business in terms of supply and demand of a service or a product is always is always about the basic virtues that are required to um, execute on those and what are the things what are those things those emotional needs that we are supplying to so and the person who actually asked me the question originally was Kerry Packer and Kerry Packer of all people you know as crude as he could be from time to time and and as commercial as he was always assumed to be had a very good grasp on um, um, people's needs and requirements and emotions. And he once said to me, he said to me, um, Mark, um, what business are you in? And uh, and um, I just said I was in the business of home loans because, you know, we called Wizard Home Loans in those days. And uh, he said, no, you're not. He said, you're in the business of people's hopes and dreams. And basically what he was saying to me was, um, you know, Mark, people have a need, all hope and dream that they can have a roof over there because there's a basic requirement of um, and a basic right to some extent of how you live your life. You're entitled to shelter and security and warmth and somewhere for your family to be and uh, that's what we all hope and dream because that's a that's a sort of a native need of each one of us and uh, what Kerry was basically saying is, Mark, do you, do you have enough empathy to understand what your customer wants? There's no point jamming this something down a customer's throat. They actually don't want a home loan. They don't want to owe you money. They want the house that you get with the home loan. That's what's really where you should be going. And uh, that lesson on empathy by the great man himself was probably the most important lesson I ever had. So when you say empathy, I'm not I'm not a – my personality is not, I'm not a naturally empathetic person. Um, well, I wasn't until I, I now, you know, made a study on the whole concept and I've actually gone and studied – 
you know, right back to uh, Aristotle, what are the concept of virtues and, uh, you know, how virtue is defined and what are the, um, the commonly viewed virtues of mankind and which is why I've gone back into lots of reading of these books by Homer, etc. because all these things are, in those days, they didn't have things like iPhones, etc. So in those days, the iPhone was talking about virtues and having discussions and debates about virtues and, and being empathetic is one of the most important virtues we can have just as human beings. But, and in business, business is no different to just living your life. And um, as soon as you said empathy, I, I mean, I understood that you've done a great study on this over these 17 years yourself, whether you've done it in a, a purposeful way or whether you just, it just came out like that. Um, but empathy, I think, is the most important value that we can have in business. Thank you. No. Well, you nailed it. Oh, I'm happy that you share the same virtues. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if I sure if I share them. I know what works <laughs> in business, though, and and because you, you've got to know, look at you know, how many times I've seen people come on the show and they said, oh, "I got this great product and service, and you know it's going to do this, and everyone's gonna, I'm going to change the world." Well, hang on, now the world you can't change the world. The world tells you what they want. You can deliver it to them. You can't come out with a product and jam it down their throat, particularly these days. Um, you know, like my competitors were the banks. In those in the wizard days, and the banks are much better at this now. But the, in those days, they would tell customers what they were going to give them, what interest rate they're going to charge them, what features they're going to put in the loan, etc. And there was only you know a dozen banks, and you really didn't have any choices. And in those days, we didn't think we were entitled to choice. That's all changed now. Um, but then I was able to come out with a product that was a bit more flexible, a lot cheaper. Not as scary. You could go to a wizard branch and it was just a normal person would sell it to you. You didn't have to deal with a bank manager, etc. Um, and we're actually listening to the customer and trying to, you know, um, shape what the customer wanted as opposed to doing what the banks were telling the customers they needed to do. That's the best example of how Wizard was successful in terms of that empathy piece. Yep. And it was very important to us. And, you know, I, I sort of knew it instinctively, but I never was able to articulate it like you just did. And it was articulated to me by Kerry Packer in my very first meeting with him when he was deciding whether he's going to hand a check over to me to be my business partner. He was doing his own due diligence. And that was the very first question he ever asked me, Boris, what business are you in? And I didn't know the fucking answer. <laughs> um, and But now I do. And uh, and it's the most important point I've ever been ever been asked question I've ever been asked. And that, by the way, is the role of a mentor is not to tell you the answer, but to ask you the most important question. Yep. And that's what inspired this show. And that's why I have the tremendous opportunity to talk to people like you, Martin. I thank you, Martin. Best of luck in the fruit box, mate. I am looking forward to the day that I read or hear about, and maybe it's going to be on this show of Martin Alphen. Now going from logistics company into health foods. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>